This is Putting Numbers to Work from MetLife, where complex data from the benefits landscape is distilled into lessons employers can immediately put into action. Now here's your host, Marcus Smallwood. Welcome to MetLife's podcast, Putting Numbers to Work, where experts take complex ideas from across the benefit research landscape and distill them into lessons employers can put in action. Hi there, I'm Marcus Smallwood, Regional Vice President here at MetLife. Now, HR professionals are inundated with new stories and emerging trends that help predict radical shifts in employee expectations and how organizations need to change to stay competitive. It's hard to know who to trust, what's hype, what's real, and what's going to have an impact. This show will give you the data, confidence, and practical advice you need to help stay competitive and build a stronger, more productive, and holistically healthy workforce. Today's guest is Suzanne Brown, strategic marketing and business consultant for OK Suzy Strategy, an award-winning work-life balance speaker. She is also the author of two books on the topic of work-life balance for working mothers, and her writing has appeared in Harvard Business Review, The Wall Street Journal, and Forbes. Suzanne and I will be discussing the growing need for flexibility and work-life balance, the risk of taking a one-size-fits-all approach to flexibility, how employers can meet employees' changing needs, and much, much more. So Suzanne, welcome to our podcast. We are so excited for you to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Marcus. I'm really excited to be having this conversation. I am too. I am too. Before we dive into our discussion, I know that our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about you, right? Your background and maybe how you got started in this space. I know you have a a ton of experience supporting leaders and organizations and creating a better workplace. So maybe you can share how we found you. Sure. So in your introduction, you talk about essentially the two sides of what it is that I do. So I started my career in the agency world. You know, the ad agency business is not really known for being very balance friendly. It is a very cutthroat industry where you work a lot of hours, honestly. And so my first introduction to work-life balance was, wow, there is no work-life balance in this industry. And eventually, over time, I went back to grad school. I actually started working for an agency post-grad school that was a little more balance-friendly. And while I was working there, I had our older son, and he was born 10 weeks premature. And I went back, and at that particular time, I was working for the head of finance, And I negotiated literally cutting my time in half. It was a large company. It's a part of one of the largest marketing conglomerates in the world. And as you can imagine, I got a lot of questions, especially from working moms, saying, how did you negotiate that? Like, can you slowly tell me the words that you use to convince your manager to let you work part-time. There were just so many questions coming at me. My colleagues, friends of my colleagues, friends of friends, my own friends. And eventually I started working for myself. I'd had a side gig at that point for almost eight years. And so I went, I started working for myself and I still kept getting the questions on how did you convince your manager to let you work part-time? And how do you actually get work done as an entrepreneur only working part-time? I eventually started taking all of that information and saying, okay, I need to send people somewhere when I couldn't find it. 
I said, I'm going to create a resource as I started doing interviews because I said, I don't just want this to be my voice. I want there to be a lot of solutions and a lot of advice. I kept hearing the phrase because I was interviewing professional working mothers and I eventually interviewed more than 110. And I kept hearing the phrase of, you know, if only I'd had a book when I was looking for this kind of information. And so I said, ah, I'm writing a book. Okay, that's what I'm doing. And then once I launched that first book, I kept having working mothers come back to me and say, hey, your first book is about part-time. I'm really excited. This is awesome. When are you going to write the book for me? Just general work-life balance as a working mother. When will that book come out? And so I said, okay, I guess I'm writing another book. I also don't suggest writing two books in a year. That's not the best way to approach your life. And then over time, I recognized in talking to leaders that they needed help as well. And I could really influence and impact working mothers by working with employers to help them become more balance friendly while also working with mothers in order to help them create a more balanced lifestyle. So now I focus on both. It's evolved over time and I still have my marketing strategy business. So I get to spin a lot of plates. I love that. You have such an amazing journey. And I think maybe when we're done with this podcast, I'm probably going to have to reach out to you to talk about your negotiation skills as well, because cutting your time in half, that's impressive. But I do. I just love how you shared how, you know, people reached out. There was a clear need. There wasn't anything out there. And so you had to create something. And it shows that uh, you're providing, you know, valuable insight. And we're going to take advantage of that today in our discussion. I'm excited because we get to discuss one of the hottest topics in the workplace right now, which is flexibility and work-life balance. At MetLife, we release an annual employee benefit trends study that explores the latest trends in workforce dynamics and employer-employee relationships. And it's no surprise that our 2023 report identified flexibility and work-life balance as a key element of an employee's experience that makes employees feel cared for, which we know drives higher job satisfaction and happiness. Work-life integration was a hot issue amongst all types of workers, even before COVID-19 struck. We know that. And more extensive remote and hybrid working may be the pandemic's most important legacy, right? Now, you've specialized in this space for a while now. What are your thoughts on the growing need for flexibility and work-life balance? And how did we get here? You know, it's interesting because the pandemic really kind of brought flexibility, work-life balance, work-life integration, it brought it front and center, right? It pulled back the curtain, especially for working parents, as to what does this actually look like? It made mental health a much more mainstream conversation. And so there were actually really good things because realistically, the whole schedule for companies embracing flexibility was compressed during the pandemic. That's really one of the real benefits of the pandemic. Really, though, this conversation started before COVID-19, you know, as you alluded to. So I think the way to think about it is Gen X really kind of set the foundation and opened the door with things like asking for pump rooms and asking for maternity leave. Millennials, they made it more mainstream. And so they were asking for work-life balance and work-life integration because 
Gen X kind of likes more of a division. I'm going to work and then I'm going to stop at the end of the day. And I really don't want you to interfere with my life again, manager or senior leader. Millennials are more of, I'm going to work and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to volunteer for an hour and then I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to work. So it's more of almost work-life integration so that there is more flow between one thing and the other. And then Gen Z has basically said, here's the deal. I expect work-life balance walking in the door. I don't expect this after I've worked for a decade. Like I expect this walking in the door. And so they are really more commanding this as they walk in. It's not because they have family. It's not because of anything else. It is because they want to enjoy their lives as they start their careers, not as they have spent decades in the workforce. And so you have all of those things going on at the same time. And it is impacting how employers need to think about flexibility, work-life balance, benefits, all of the policies that they have in place. And it is requiring a little bit more creativity because at the end of the day, you have employees who expect this more holistic view of well-being and because of all of the time and energy that they put in working for an employer, they think that their employer should be able to be a part of that holistic well-being, not simply, oh, here is your insurance. Can you come in and work for us for 50 hours a week? Suzanne, you hit the nail on the head. And I would say, you know, even to the employees don't expect it, they also you know, are demanding it. Right. It's interesting because you tied into, you know, an area that we found in our employee benefits trend study. This year's report found that while many components are involved in fostering a flexible work environment, the most important factors are time related, including working schedules. So think of, you know, the hours of the day that you work, the days of the week that you work, you know, paid and unpaid time off and the amount of time available to focus on commitments outside of work as well. And these differences also are different between different demographics too. For example, 84% of boomers prioritize their work schedule over other aspects of flexibility, while only 72% of Gen Z employees say the same. So do you think that when it comes to flexibility, when people work has become as important as where people work? Absolutely. During the pandemic, it was largely about where, right? And so so often that is what the conversation is focused on when it comes to flexibility. It's where you work. And so it's that idea of work from home or remote because they are different. You know, work from home is you literally work from your house or from a specific distance from the office. And then there is remote, which is you could be anywhere in the world. And then you have hybrid where they expect you to come into the office. So many more companies are bringing people back for at least a portion of the week. And some of your other guests have talked about that aspect from this whole series that you're doing. And that is an important thing to keep in mind because hybrid really allows people to still have that time away and that time in the office to be able to collaborate and do all the things that they need to do when they are together. But there is this other aspect of it, which is when you work. And that is things like part-time, which is less than 40 hours a week. And you are seeing more and more of a conversation, but employers haven't completely embraced this side of things. You've got job share, 
compressed schedules where you still work 40 hours a week, but in fewer days than five days a week, there is the opportunity to shift your schedule. So maybe you start earlier and you end earlier, or you start later and you end later, or maybe you divide your time up throughout the day. So maybe you work until a certain time. And if you're a working parent, then you can go pick up your kids and do whatever, and then you hop back on. So there's that when And then there's the final element of kind of more full flexibility of having asynchronous time, right? So being able to be available for certain times of the day when you are having meetings, when you need to collaborate, and then having times when as long as you're getting the work done, it doesn't really matter when you work. So it all depends on what you mean by flexibility, but there are so many different layers of what it could look like. So you have to think a little bit differently about what is flexibility. It's not necessarily as easy as, oh, okay, you can work from home two days a week. Yeah, you, look, you bring up a great point about what flexibility and work-life balance means to employees. And I think that's a major consideration for employers today. They can't run away from it. And a healthy work-life integration might mean something different to each employee. It might be something different for me than it is for you. So can you elaborate on this? Like, What are the risks of a company taking a one-size-fits-all approach to flexibility? So what you just said absolutely matters. How you look at it is different than how I look at it, which is different than your best friend, your closest colleague at the office. It's a little different for everyone. And so recognizing that work-life balance isn't this formula. You know, it's not, oh, you have to do it exactly like this and then everything will be fine. And so you do have to think about it, you do have to understand this more holistic version of well-being. And what it really comes down to is you have to embrace this idea of work-life balance, of the flexibility of work-life balance as an employer, and still be consistent. So you can't say, oh, well, it's just going to be free for all. Like anybody can do it anyway, right? Like you do have to have some structures in place. And so for me, I like to think about work-life balance as a long-term approach to your life. And that way, it's not this unrealistic 50-50 split every day because, I mean, that's almost impossible, right? And it's almost like when that does happen, it's more of a fluke. It's more of like, oh, it, it was a perfect balance today. You know, that doesn't normally happen. And so how can you support your employees to have this more long-term balance, right? Over the course of a week, over the course of a month or a season, a year, you know, whatever that can be and whatever makes sense for your team and for your employees. And some of that is allowing them the space and the time to do whatever it is that they need to do to feel balanced, right? Having the time, the mental space, the energy. So if you're running your teams into the ground and you say, oh, but they'll have time on the weekend, are they really going to have time on the weekend? So you have to understand what is it that your employees really want to do in their free time. And part of that is asking, literally, how do you want to spend your time away from here? Because that can help you figure out what are the right solutions. And you don't have to get nitty gritty into, you know, grab a notebook and like pry into their personal lives, but to be able to understand where do they want to put their energy? Because if it's volunteering, for example, that might happen during the week. 
right? Or if it's time with family, that might happen later in the day. So understanding a little more of what it means for them to have this flexibility, to have this work-life balance is going to help you figure out solutions. It's also going to help you figure out trends. There will be certain things that naturally allow them to do what it is that they find important in their lives. And part of it is also understanding what is it that they do well internally? What are the innate abilities that they have versus where are the places that you can provide support? And that looks at what you do well, Marcus, might not be what I do well. You might be amazing at time management and you as a manager might look at your team and think, why are they struggling? This isn't that hard. And then realizing, okay, these are all habits I developed over time. My team doesn't have these habits. So I need to be able to coach them. I need to be able to share best practices with them. I need to be able to reach out to my partners in HR or other teams that you have at your disposal internally and say, okay, how can you help my team with these things? And then it's also looking at external resources, speakers, all of those kinds of things that you can bring in to help you because your team isn't going to have all of these things that you have as a leader. And then there are things that you can actually do to help. And that can be things like maximizing meeting time, right? Where you can give them the tools to be better about meetings because that allows your team to have time and space to do other things because they actually get to have work done during the day instead of having to do work in non-work hours. Wow, you've hit on so many things there. As you were sharing, I was just thinking kind of of my own experience as a leader and thinking that as leaders at organizations, it's not easy, right? Because as we grow diverse populations, they come with diverse needs and these differences are going to play out. And like you said, like what balance really means to you may be different uh, to me. And, and how do you accommodate for that with all of those differences in the workplace? And I was just thinking that, you know, as we're looking to provide, you know, flexible working arrangements, we as leaders and we as organizations, we need to flex, Right. We need to be able to flex in certain areas. I mean, look, there's some non-negotiables that have to take place. We get that. We're running businesses in most places. But, you know, how do you make sure that you have a culture that supports not what's only going on in the workplace, but outside of the workplace? I thought we could dive deeper into these differences because our 2023 trend study found some significant variations on how female employees use a flexible work environment to their advantage compared to their male counterparts. So for example, when they have gained time back from flexible work arrangements, 70% of women say they will care for themselves and focus on their well-being versus 53% of men. And 61% of them say that they will spend time with family versus 53% of men. So Suzanne, why might this be? And how can we support female employees taking their well-deserved time off to care for themselves and for their families. And let's think about the flip side of that as well, right? You know, how can we break the societal norms for men to do the same? This is one of those things that we definitely got a little bit deeper understanding of during the pandemic and through studies like the one that MetLife does. What it really comes down to is you are trying to maximize the amount of time that you have to do all of the things that you have to do. And 
There are certain changes that happen between men and women, certain things that happen when you introduce caregiving. So whether that is caring for your children or caring for your aging parents or in-laws or whatever relative. And so there are layers to this, right? And so part of it is giving people the ability to do what they need to do. And leaders will say, okay, but how do I know what that is? You need to ask, and you need to ask this in a few different ways. You all have provided the survey. Really, though, as organizations are taking in this information and trying to figure it out for themselves, they still need to ask, and they need to ask a few different ways. Because you can ask your team and say, do you feel supported? And they will say, yeah, 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 I definitely feel supported. Do you have enough time? Yeah, 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 I definitely have enough time. Because they might think that that's the right thing to say. But then you've got to ask it in a few different ways so that you can understand, okay, you feel supported. Sure. Okay. Awesome. What are you going to do with that additional time? How can we help you create more of that time? And all of a sudden, those other questions give you actionable steps. They give you a way to change policies. They give you a way to create policies and to create benefits. But the other thing is that you also have to think about What is the openness to use these benefits and to actually utilize these new policies? Because for example, let's talk about working dads. If all of a sudden you say, okay, we're going to give paternity leave and we are going to offer 16 weeks. So just bear with me. Let's just say 16 weeks. But really, working dads only take off two. Does it really matter that you give 16 weeks? Because As a company, as an employer, as a team, as a senior leader, you have said, ooh, more than two weeks and we don't think that you're serious about your job anymore, right? And so there has to be a cultural shift for some people and for some organizations to say, okay, we are providing these things and we expect you to actually use them because you might already have some of these things in place as an employer or as a team, as a manager, as a senior leader, and say, I don't understand why they're not taking advantage of this. And it might be that you as a leader have signaled all of you, you can take off, you know, 16 weeks. I'm only going to take off two. That is a signal to your team to say, you better not take off 16. And that can be for anything. If you can have policies in place that aren't only about caregiving for a child, right? Maternity or paternity leave an actual caregiving, who among us doesn't need to care for someone at some point in our lives, right? I mean, because it could be that you have a parent who is getting older and starting to need a little bit more attention. They might need to start going to see specialists on a more regular basis. And you want to be a part of that, but you literally don't have time because the only policies in place at your employer are about newborns right? It's about the first few months of a child's life, not about the extended idea of caregiving. You know, so you want the policies to be in place. You want the openness to actually take action on those policies and benefits. And the other piece of that is you want to be able to do the things and model the behavior as a leader of your team, your department, your organization, 
when it comes to being a working parent, it's parenting out loud, right? It's the, I need to go pick up my child from school. I will be back on at X time. It's actually saying that to your team so that they know it's okay for me to do this. But it's the same thing as a caregiver of an aging parent. I'm taking my mother to an appointment for physical therapy. Oh, okay, that's that's normal for me to do as an employee. And so you're modeling that behavior for your teams. And it's also creating other policies that help employees understand that. So that can be through coaching mentors to be able to explain to younger employees, talk about this. It can be talking to ERG leaders who can say, hey, did you know that these policies exist? It's time for us to actually use them. You know, so it's it's also being able to think about the bigger network of people in your organization who can coach those younger employees to actually be able to take action on what exists and the changes that you make. So it's not just, okay, we continue to make all these changes, but nobody's doing anything. So many great nuggets in there. I agree with you. We have to ask questions and, and how we ask those questions are critically important. You know, I always think about it here in the, in the West Coast in California, when someone says, how's it going, right? We just say good. And when I go back East, I visit my family in North Carolina and they say, how's it going? I say, good. They're like, no, no, how are you doing? I really want to know how you're doing. Give me more information. Give me more, give me more. Yeah. And so you know, as we're talking to our teams, it's more of saying, hey, what's on your mind? You know, I really want to know, you know, how I can can help today. And I love the concept of modeling the behavior. You know, I was guilty of this, you know, several years ago, I would say I'm always available for you. If you need me, I'm there for you. It doesn't matter if I'm in the Bahamas or wherever, if you, you call me, I'm, I'm there for you. And I realized that that wasn't the best approach and I wasn't modeling the best behavior because the team felt like they always had to be on as well. And so now it's, you know, my team knows when I'm going to go on vacation and I take my vacations. And I say that my expectation is that you will feel empowered to make decisions while I'm gone, you know, and that I'm not to be disturbed, right? And that has helped. We've seen that our teams are, are really starting to, to see that, that behavior and model that in, in, in their, own, their own time off as well. And let me just add one quick thing related to that, because actually taking your vacation is so important. And some of the pushback that I get when I do workshops or when I have conversations is, but what if something comes up? What if there's an emergency? And so I always say, define the emergency and define the protocol, right? So that way, you know, okay, I need to reach out to Marcus on vacation because this is an emergency that only he can deal with. Or is it that I took the day off, but I know that you need this for tomorrow. And so I'm going to work for an hour tonight so that I can get it to you. Or maybe I'm taking the day off tomorrow and I need to just get this done. And so I'm working late, but it's not an emergency for you to respond. So defining the emergencies gives the ability for someone to say, okay, it's 10 o'clock at night. Do I really need to hop on and address this? Or, oh, this can just wait until the morning. But you have to define the emergencies sometimes so that you know the difference and have everyone who touches the project on the team agree to that. You know, whether you have internal or external clients, whoever the leadership is on the team, whether it's a sponsor or it's just simply your manager, but have everyone who touches a project to agree to what those terms are and what the protocols are. And then that way you can walk away at the end of the day, you can walk away and go on vacation. You can do all of the things that you need to do and not feel like I've got to keep checking my phone. I've got to, I've got to be on my phone at all. And it's like, no, just 
step away because it's fine. It's all under control. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, it just boils down to being prepared, having that trust, right, as well, that that's important. But I like how you said that to just define what those emergencies are, right? And I think that's just the best approach. So I'm confident that there's employers out there that flexibility is important to them. And whatever forms of flexibility that employer decides to prioritize for their workforce, it's likely they'll need to provide more in the future. It's not going to go away. In our 2023 Employee Benefit Trend Study, the report found that 27% of employees think their employers provide a high degree of flexibility, and less than two-thirds of employees agree that their employer provide the flexibility necessary to manage both work and life. So how can employers meet employees' changing needs for a flexible work environment, and, and what are the risks if they don't? So let's be real upfront here of what the risk is. We saw during the pandemic, the number that you constantly hear is 2 million women left the workforce. And of those, 1.4 million are working mothers, and many of them have not returned. So one, people can literally leave the workforce. It's not a matter of going to your competitor. They might literally walk out of the workforce. And that can be hard because all of a sudden, if you had a pool of 2 million, you now no longer have those 2 million. The other part though is, let's say people do leave and they go to a competitor. There is a financial cost to those people walking out of your organization. And then there is a whole knowledge cost to your organization. So the financial cost, when I was doing the research for my books, it was anywhere from 50 to 200% of a salary. That's what it's going to cost you to recruit, you know, to actually go look for the person, to find them, to hire, train, and then get them up to speed. And then there's a lag because even though they're going to be walking into your organization, they probably have the skills. It still takes time for them to know how you do things. And you lose that knowledge part, right? So all of the things that that person who walked out of your organization had in their memory banks, in their experience, and, oh, but you know, you don't do it that way because we tried that a few years ago and that was just not helpful. And so that's why we moved this way. All of that information is gone. And there is a high likelihood that it's going to go to your competitor. So there are all kinds of financial costs to people leaving your organization and literally just the productivity of your organization. If you don't have that information and you just keep spinning your wheels, that takes time and energy from your own teams where you are just trying to reset instead of continuing to move forward. So that's the first piece. I say that so that leaders will pay attention because as you do create new things, you might think, well, we don't have the budget for it. Okay, but do you have the budget to continually have to replace the teams, the people who are leaving? So you want to think about financially how costs are from a similar bucket, not think of things separately. I talk about that as the why should you care, right? And that's in addition to it being the right thing to do. You want to create a more supportive environment and more supportive culture because it is the right thing to do. And you will have happier, more productive employees. You've definitely talked about that in other conversations as part of this series. So as you're looking at all of these things, you do need to make sure that your teams are actually able to act on what currently exists. So 
when you look at what leaders think is happening versus what employees think is happening, sometimes it's a matter of employees literally don't have that information. You've created whatever it is that you are creating, and you have not done a good job as a leader, as a leadership team, communicating those changes. So that's the first thing you need to be able to look at and think about who naturally can help you get that information out. Because your managers can be a great resource. ERG leaders can be a great resource. There are naturally people within a team who are influencers within the team, being able to get talking points to those people. So that's the next layer, right? Being able to say, what have we already done? How can we share that? And then the final thing is, what do you need to change? You know, and and we talked about asking employees, what is it that they need? Being able to bring in different people within your organization to help you make those changes. Because a lot of times you hear organizations say, we definitely want to change things. We don't have the budget to make these huge sweeping changes. How can we maximize our budget? There is a very high probability that you have people within your organization who can help you understand, who can help you ask questions the right way, who can help you create a plan and who can help you start to look at information that people are giving back to you and actually use that knowledge in a different way. So start to think about who your subject matter experts are. What are the teams that can really drive this information coming to you? And then how are you going to make changes based on this information? And then you want to be able to communicate out what it is that you're doing. Okay, great. Thank you so much. We heard you. Here are some of the things that we're working on and actually start to do them. You know, the easiest way for you to start to make change and to create more flexibility is to start to test. You know, you don't want to do this blanket change across your entire organization when you haven't gotten the social proof, essentially, of is it going to work? And so being able to test and tell people, we're going to test this out and find a team And it could be a whole department. It could be a small team. It could be that there's a manager who's really open to change. And so you start with that team. There are so many different ways that you can iterate on this and you get feedback and then you start to think about it in a bigger sense and a bigger opportunity, but you communicate the whole time. Because if you gather a bunch of information and your team doesn't hear from you for months and months and months, they're just going to think, wow, I'm so glad that they surveyed me again and didn't make any change, you know, and that creates frustration that causes people to leave your organization because they're like, great, they got a bunch more information and they're not doing anything about it. But if you communicate along the way, your employees appreciate that. Thank you for including me in the conversation. Thank you for telling me what's going on. Thank you for telling me what to expect. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you lose so much credibility if you're doing a survey, they respond, they give you great feedback, and then there's no action, right? It's all about what do you do afterwards and then respond back saying, hey, we, we've heard you. And here's something like you said, try something out, test, right? And learn and move on from there. Suzanne, look, you've provided so much for us to chew on today. And before we conclude, though, I do want to give you the opportunity, you know, for final thoughts and takeaways for our listeners, you know, around, you know, either building upon what companies are already doing or even starting on, you know, building this healthy work-life integration with their employees. The first thing that I want to remind people of is don't assume, ask. 
that is the basis of it, that you want to be able to have conversation in order for you to be able to take action as a leader. The second one is if the only thing that you gain from this conversation is your actions matter. So start modeling the behavior that you want others to be comfortable with because your actions and your words absolutely make a difference as a leader in your organization. And your more junior employees are absolutely watching. And then the final thing is this is not going to remedy itself. So you do have to take action. I think as people, we will think, well, I'm just going to wait and it'll, you know, some things will just kind of solve themselves. When it comes to creating a more balanced, friendly, and more flexible work environment, you have to take action. And it's easier to do with small, consistent steps than it is to do sweeping change from nowhere. And so to just start to take those steps will help you and it will start to build that credibility and it will show, I am listening, you know, be patient, but I am listening. I am starting to do what needs to be done instead of just waiting for it all to just remedy itself because it won't naturally happen but it is something that you can build on, right? It's not gloom and doom. The power is in your hands to start to take action. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much. I have to say, I, for one, appreciate your journey, that you are brave and bold enough to jump into this space. You're making a difference for people. And I know you've made a difference for our listeners today. We've gained so much insight from you today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. As did I. Well, that's all for today's episode. I want to give a big thanks to Suzanne for joining us today to discuss the growing need for flexibility and work-life balance. If you've enjoyed the conversation, make sure that you subscribe to Putting Numbers to Work and leave us a review. Tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. Again, I'm Marcus Smallwood, and this has been Putting Numbers to Work presented by MetLife.